Hello there, this is Chris Cusseau. I'm a writer at trustyhenchman.com and uh, I am the greatest game. And I'm Nicole Lamb and I got some new glasses which makes me look like a creepy dentist from the 80s. Mm-hmm. No, yes, maybe, I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody sees me but my husband, so he has to suffer. And welcome <laughs> to We Should Write This Down, episode 11. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> no, the glasses are very nice. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. I'm fine with it. You know, okay. I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm buying glasses online. Plenty of mistakes can well, happen. Here's, here's the trick. If you could be any creepy dentist, which creepy dentist would you be? I'd probably be the dentist in that like terrible horror movie, The Dentist. Although I haven't seen it in a while. It could be really, really uh, bad. I'm hmm. pretty sure that movie's just called The Dentist. Yeah, if that's the one I remember, and isn't that the guy that was Dr. Giggles? No, that's probably a different guy. Let me, let me look this up now. Now I'm curious. Yeah. It's. I was going to say the correct answer, I think, is probably the one from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. The Steve yeah. Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah. 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 It would have, there would have to be some funny gas. I'd be addicted mm -hmm. to that. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why did I sound like a horse just now? The fuck? Uh, uh, we're both looking at the dentist, aren't we? Yes, we are. Doodly doo. From 1996, a wonderful time in history. Oh, hey, it's Brian Usna. Oh, okay. Damn. Hmm. Well, there's a trailer. Well, that's not the same. That's not Dr. Giggle. So there should be an evil league of doctors. And <laughs> this should feature the dentist and Dr. Giggles. And uh, I'm out of people for my joke. So <laughs> That joke ran Actually, its course very quickly. No, I'm not, because we're going to create our own doctor pretty soon here. Oh, hey, that actually works pretty well. Yeah, it's almost as if I planned it. I didn't. But so uh, for some context, I, I've mentioned this a couple times. I've been watching my way through Star Trek's The Next Generation for quite a bit now. Um, I'm on season... I'm about to hit season six, but there's an episode that I hit just a couple ago where um, Worf gets hit by a barrel that crushes his spine. And first of all, I'd like to talk about how in this future world where Dr. Beverly has successfully transferred entire organisms into other people's uh, you know bodies and uh saved william riker's brain from a new disease by inducing happy and sad memories she literally saved him by making him sad and giving him a bummer uh all these other scenarios that are you know almost magical and how she could cure people she straight up can't fix this one klingon's spine but okay Story must be told. So in the story, the thing is, she's just like, well, you pr you might not ever be able to walk again. And Klingon's like, or Klingon, Worf is like, okay, kill me. Like straight up. You got to kill me, doctor. And there's a radical doctor who has a, a new method of growing replacement organs. And they, she's just like, we can replace his entire spine. And you're like, hmm, okay, that's something. You could just fix the one little problem. You got to replace the whole spine. And uh, so they're having a surgery and they put Worf tummy down and <laughs> the they open him up and 
end scene, come back from commercial break, and there's an entire pristine, shiny spine in like a f- aquarium on display. And it's just like, what? <laughs> I'm not a spineologist, but uh, don't. I don't think that how can work. And so, uh, but as I see this perfectly removed spine, the only thing I could think of is that they must have called Dr. Predator. Cause <laughs> the only person with the skill to pull out a spine that complete, and I don't think it would still work that way. And that cleanly. And that cleanly. Well, and I seem presumably they polished it off. We know predators like to polish off. Well, their sure. Boners. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> they must have called Dr. Predator. And, you know, in the Federation Alliance at this point in time, the Predators probably are members, maybe, if they stopped killing people for being game. Well, there could be some, like, rogue Predator people, you know? Like, I mean, they have the technology to make it to, like, a Predator planet, but you probably don't want to go visit them. No. But maybe there's some guys who are like, you know, maybe I can take spines out for good. Yeah, yeah. The the rogue predators are the good predators. Yeah. Um, and so rogue predator, Dr. Predator MD is <laughs> uh, assisted by his nurse Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> who, Mortal who, you Kombat! When it's time to uh, get the anesthesiologist over, they're just a like, get over here. <laughs> Finish him! Finish it! <laughs> apply the epidural drop uh so it's yeah dr predator i I like this guy because here's the trick he's still a predator uh he basically only mimics other people's speech patterns so it's a little tricky you just got to get out of his way for him to rip out the spine and and you know maybe you can hand gesture where you, you want him to put it but then like the trick is what if like somebody questions him or he screws up he probably pulls out his bomb on his arm and <laughs> detonates it <laughs> so it's it's really a 50 50 chance if it's worth calling him it's true um because he could blow up your entire entire starship but he has found that the greatest game is to help people's spines <laughs> align better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes I would love it if, if he was the one that had to put the spine back in. He's not so good at that. No. He's just trying to cram this thing in there. Yeah. What's... Uh, yeah, I keep trying to figure this out because... And I should because it's Star Trek and it's not good. Um, but it's just like, wait a second. Isn't the spine attached to the... Ri- How did you detach the rest of the stuff? Well, you have a lot of nerves going in and out, too, which is very, very tricky. So I would think that you call Dr. Predator for the spine removal, and then you probably have specialists who know how to, like, rebuild a spine. And there's probably some sort of technology that can, like, 3D print them, you know, in. That's basically what this was. It was a 3D printer. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you can just make any food in the world in just, like, a little box machine, it can just make it, and it's totally fine and nutritious to eat. Mm-hmm. You could probably make a spine, mm-hmm. you know? If you can abuse that replicator technology, what kind of food would you make the most? Uh, it'd probably be really simple. You know, I'm really into um, a lot of, like, Indian and Asian cuisines at the moment, so I would just probably have that shit on demand. I'd be mm. like, make this, but vegan. And so I wouldn't have to deal with recipes or anything. <laughs> just like... <laughs> 
Do you think the replicator, the replicators probably can make replacement body parts. It's probably the same technology as the rogue doctor was doing. So the third doctor assisting Dr. Predator and Nurse Scorpion should be Hannibal Lecter because then the replicator is a twofold device. It makes (laughs) snacks and replacement body parts. He's like, look, I'll help you. But you'll have to replicate some kidneys for me. Yes. Well, th- that's the trick. Like, uh, Dr. Lecter would just be like, okay, okay, got you some new replacement kidneys. I got to sample them first just to make sure they're good. Oh, that was pretty good. Let's make some more. I better sample these too. <laughs> you know. Man, I'm full. I need a nap. We'll deal with his kidneys a little bit later. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he's dying? Oh, is that a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep them on future dialysis. It'll be fine. Future dialysis. Yes. And then Dr. Lecter has to be the psychiatrist for Dr. Predator. Yes. And he starts to seduce him. We're going this way now. Oh. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even really thought about that. Because I guess Mm -hmm. I've never watched the Hannibal show, but it's pretty gay, huh? It's a bit gay. It's it's pretty great. Yeah. Um. (laughs) It's a bit gay. It's pretty great. (laughs) It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannib- cannibal gay? Yes, it's cannibal gay. gay? Tell me more. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're basically Doctor Lecter is just gaslighting Doctor Predator the entire time, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and every time Doctor Predator is just like, I think I'm being misled. I better set my bomb. <laughs> oh no, but this is pretty sexy too. <laughs> uh, maybe I should set my bomb. Well, hmm. Maybe yeah. I should do this thing with Hannibal and set my bomb at the same time. There we go. Now that's multiple sexy. explosions. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Dazed and confused, Doctor Predator. <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting older. They keep getting younger. <laughs> In the meantime, Nurse Scorpion is just watching like this really weird flirting going on, <laughs> just being like. <laughs> Don't get over here. <laughs> Stay oh, away. Oh, no, he's watching it, and it's getting better and better, and it's getting to a peak where he goes, finish him. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. And then it's over, and he goes, K.O. K.O. <laughs> that wasn't a fatality. That was a friendship move. <laughs> uh <laughs> I never knew all these characters, well, except for Hannibal, could be so sexual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can we can find a way. I know. If we're, anyone's we're, gonna we're, do it. Life will find a way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love how our last uh episode before our berserk episode well, no, I guess it was episode seven, sad sad porn stars, where yes. our old boss had promoted our uh, podcast <laughs> on Facebook and he's like, For the most unique podcast on the internet. <laughs> and I was yes. like, that is a compliment from him. Because if he did listen to it, he was probably like the fuck i'm so glad i don't have to hang out with these people anymore (laughs) oh no look i love scott but i also feel sympathy for him that he had to deal with us weirdos (laughs) oh yeah no 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 i know the awe was for us (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (sighs) okay so uh it sounds like we got a winner here with uh dr predator md absolutely uh, (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the Doogie Hauser MD, but with spine removal. I don't mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's still just as gay. Wait. Yes. Well. Hmm. <laughs> Wait. I don't know. So what else have you been up to? 
Oh, well, uh, I've been actually reading a lot of, of books and this came about because uh, I've made this notebook, a new comic book notebook. Uh, I used to track things differently when I worked in a comic book store. It for some reason just worked better. I had a different reading pattern. I read more singles than trades, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. These days, it's a totally new world. I'm collecting comics again for the first time in 10 years outside of working in the industry. So it's just different. I have a bunch of cool pens, and so I've decided that I'm writing everything in my notebook in rainbow, which mm -hmm. I'm sure to some people might feel really obnoxious, but it <laughs> makes me happy. It's like every other line is like a different color. I don't know. I'm weird. But, Follow your um, dreams. It looks really pretty. <laughs> Do that. Yeah. Uh, it probably would make your eyes bleed, but for me, it brings a little <laughs> joy. Uh, so I decided to not read comics and just ca uh, catalog every single comic that I have not yet read in trade form. I haven't gone through my singles yet. Yeah, there was like 96 different titles, I think, that I have not read that are currently... And that's like series. Like, like I never finished Manhattan Projects, for instance. I don't remember where the fuck I am in that, you know? And so that's like... Well, at this point, I just need to reread it and finish the series. That's six volumes right there. Yeah. I never finished Revival. You know, I don't remember where I'm at in that, but I think halfway through the series, I just stopped reading because that's what I do. I just move on to something else. So anyway, I've been taking the time to say, okay, it's October, it's spooky time. Let me pick out a few horror comics that I have that I haven't finished reading or haven't read at all and continue doing that. So I finished reading Memon. It's by Michael Hugh. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Haug. Haug. It's H-A-G-U-E. I mean, you know, forever butchering people's names. That's what I do. Mm. Oh, yeah. Offending people left and right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hi, it's me. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I finished reading Memon. And what's interesting is I, as you're reading, as I was reading it, it's like, this is like Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's like there's a vampire-esque person who gets in contact with somebody named Jonathan and he brings him over to his spooky castle, you know, for reasons. Uh, but then it, it diverges. And uh, after I'd finished reading it, the back of it was like, I, I wanted to do a Bram Stoker's Dracula, but then as I was writing it, it kind of derailed and did this other thing. And I was like, oh, so it's exactly that. Cool. Mm. And it turns out that uh, this, uh, the, it's a really interesting little twist because the Memon is a son of Satan. He is uh, created by Satan to try to take over the world. He has a sister who's the first vampire. He has mm. a, a monster and a couple shape-shifting shape brothers and stuff like that. They uh, eventually become really mad at Satan. Uh, they get really bored with like their immortality and they're like, screw this guy. And they meet a monk and the monk is like, Christianity and Jesus. And they're like, interesting. We like this <laughs> Jesus thing. We like Jesus now. And the monk is like, uh, no, I don't. I mean... I don't think you That's really get it. It's probably not going to jive well with my superiors, but mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then they turn him into a vampire and he's like, fuck y'all. Fuck y'all so hard. <laughs> and so ultimately, the the whole the whole motivation is that they, they want to kill Satan. They, they want to get their revenge and they're going to do it through quote unquote Christianity. <laughs> so they're basically rebellious teenagers. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah they've gotten to that point in their life and their we're gonna immortality. Go, <laughs> we're going to go worship this Jesus guy. You yeah. can't tell me. <laughs> Exactly. You're not my real father. Oh, you are. Well, okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of it. If you guys want to read it, 
you probably want to maybe skip ahead because I don't know. Do you want to read this series at all? If you do, then uh, I'll just shut up. Uh, eventually, but you know what? You go ahead. Okay, go so ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it now. Spoilers. They eventually line things up to where. They're bringing on like this kind of end of world scenario, so all the demons will come out, and hopefully they can they can get at Satan. In the meantime, they had Jonathan here because he was supposed to like write a novel about Memon, like do a true hey, let's talk about vampires and monsters, and you're gonna do it. But it doesn't really happen. Instead, Jonathan gets roped up in this thing where Memon is like. I know what you want. You want immortality, don't you? So you're going to help us do all these different things, and then I'm going to let you be an, an immortal. And he does eventually do that, and the um, then the immortal Jonathan, <laughs> because <laughs> that's a good name, right? <laughs> ends up looking exactly like Memon. Ah. Did you have a thing for the immortal Jonathan? Well, do you remember who the amazing Jonathan was from Buffy? Yes. Yes. So this entire time, you telling me this story about Jonathan, in my brain, I was casting the amazing Jonathan. Yeah. And so you turning it into the immortal Jonathan is like a full circle here. It works pretty well. Yeah, it works pretty well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the gist of it is that Maman brought about this war so that he, so that the, the veil between like hell and earth would be, you know, very thin and he could get in there and he could go kill his dad and be like, I hate you. You dad mm -hmm. now. Uh, so Jonathan is actually the replacement Memon because Memon would never be able to get out of hell. Uh. And he does make it to hell. And the like last panel is uh, Satan being like, well, hello, son. Uh, <laughs> hell's empty. It's just you and me. And that's uh. the end. And it's just kind of like, huh. Huh. Interesting. Did they ever say who Memon's mother is? Uh, I don't think there is a mother. If I remember. So Satan doesn't get freaky with nobody? I mean, he's Satan. Yeah. He probably okay. does. But the thing is, is like I read the series to a certain point and so then when I, and then put it down and then when I brought took it back up again, I just kind of skimmed the beginning because I didn't want to go over it. So I I can't gotcha. say for sure that he didn't get freaky with somebody, but there really isn't any mention of like He could have just accidentally dropped water on himself and then then like gremlins that he ate at midnight. <laughs> well, now that I think about it, I think it was more of a transformation because I think they were humans and then he just said like, you, you, and you, you're like my children now. Oh, I think that's okay. what happened. Gotcha. So anyway, if you've read Memon and you're screaming at this podcast right now, forgive me for I don't care. Would they be screaming because of your summary skills or because of the spoilers? Because of my lack of like knowing the entirety of the book and being oh, able whatever. to answer every question. It's know. a comic, yo. It's the it's the internet though, yeah, yeah, and yeah. look, I'm wrong like most of the time, so mm -hmm, just let mm -hmm. that be what it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I also read uh, when I arrived at the castle, which is by Emily Carroll. Oh yeah, and that's that shit a good was one. crazy. Yeah, yeah, Emily Carroll is amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm like s like smart enough to really like fully understand the story, but uh, I enjoyed the ride. It was great. <laughs> There's a so. lot of metaphor in there, and but uh, I, I think she works really well because you can you can enjoy her stories without having to having to get through the layers of additional meaning. Yeah, at times, yeah, yeah. And I thought the ending was really strong because it just kind of reverberated for me. I won't spoil that one because I don't even think I could really explain it. But at the same time, I just really liked it because it, mm -hmm. it had me just sit there and just be like, 
Hmm. Interesting. And mm-hmm. just the art in a, in and of itself. I mean, there's just these amazing like I guess splash it's mostly splash pages if they if you're going to say it like that. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal. She uses a very limited color palette, black, white, red, mm-hmm. and just very beautiful, very pretty. Oh, she, very pretty, very engaging. She can be very subtle as well. Yeah. But no. it's it's like a horror fairy tale, you know? Yeah. It's, it's pretty much what it is, and it's just really cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And No, yeah. she's, she's a top-tier talent. She did a – I forget what the name of it was, but she did an online comic that you could only really read online. I don't think it can ever be printed because it followed, like, a trail of blood that crisscrossed – through the um the landscape of your screen and Mm. in such a way that you just couldn't couldn't get that to be printed and it's just beautiful use of uh scott mcleod called it the infinite canvas you Mm. know when you're doing digital stuff because you can theoretically just go forever you know and uh it's amazing and also sad that it can't be printed you know but right is what well, it is. Sometimes we've seen things where we think that they can't be printed and they still find a way. So, yeah, <laughs> through a lot of work sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen some of the creators being like, I've got to figure out where these borders are. <laughs> yeah. Know? So, yeah. yeah. Plus, it's it's interesting, too. So I'm going to use that to seg- segue into something. You gifted me a book called Mare Internum. And it is by Der Shing Helmer. <laughs> Probably don't have to add, throw in that accent, as you say it. I just like doing that. <laughs> but uh, it is a favorite a book of mine right now. Um, I really love her style. She did another book called The Meek. There's a lot of this book that you can read this entire thing free online. So that's that's good. But she changed a good chunk and added some stuff, but she also re-edited uh, chunks of dialogue. And they're significantly different in my mind because they give a different impact. So when I was doing um, a review for this on my website, some of the pages that I was uh, taking some shots of from her website they were actually different than what I had read. And so I, I didn't want to use those because they weren't representative of the experience I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it se- may seem minor, but there were, to me, um, they, they created a different uh, emotional resonance. A quick summary of the story is that it's sometime in the future. Uh, we are on Mars. Uh, we're beginning to colonize it. And there's a doctor, a uh, a geologist, who is basically the first panel of the book is he's about to commit suicide and he screws it up and he puts it off because he gets interrupted. He's basically going to be shipped off the planet because in disgrace because of something that you're is slowly revealed later on. And one of the new arrivals is a um, I forget the term. Maybe maybe it's just a biologist. She's basically her study is in breeding a form of crickets that we can use for protein. Mm. Um, and she she really wants to learn more from the outgoing doctor uh, or uh, geologist. Uh, his name's Michael. Her name is I'm going to cheat here. Bex. Uh, so it's Michael and Bex. And uh, at first he he's very dismissive because he's he he 
he's kind of in his own misery. He doesn't want to give her a tour of like some of their excavation sites and she wants to talk to him, but he's just like, ah, but once they do finally talk, she gives him the impression that like her children actually really cared about his work and stuff like that. And so his ego gets stroked a bit and he's just like, ah, let's go, let's go take a look at the excavation site. Da, 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 da. And they go and he has a mental breakdown while they're there. And they have a little bit of a scuffle and they both fall down one of the shafts um, when one of the ledges gives way. And so they fall deep, deep underground into um, uncharted territory of the Martian caverns and they survive and they get separated. And um, there's a whole ecosystem down there of weird creatures. And so a lot of the book is basically about this scientific exploration. But the major focus of the book is about the mental health issues um, that both characters are dealing with because Bex has her own thing of she basically abandoned her children to come to Mars. And you get the impression that like when she was pregnant, she she wasn't sure if having children would erase her own identity and everything she worked for. So like she's got that stuff she's grappling with. Uh, Michael uh, had to deal with um, abuse at a young age and he's supposed to be taking different medications and he's he's not. And uh, so he's prone to self-harm and some other things happening. So it's it's very, very engaging. It, it pulls you in. The characters are it, I, I want to use the term. It's a lived in world. You get the impression immediately that, you know, this is a it's kind of a hard science world where this is all stuff that like, yeah, this can this can happen. This level of our colonization can happen. Um, and even the level of like the 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 water and underneath Mars, like that stuff that's been currently, you know, kind of discovered or the potential for it. She's just a great world builder and her characterization her facial expressions so she's she's to me uh, a top tier talent she's one of those people that can just create through her visual language and and her grasp on how people interact she, she's actually uh also a former educator and a biologist so she's like bringing all her game to this you know of being able to communicate and educate at the same time mm. um so it's it's one of my favorites i highly recommend it it is mare internum which translates to inner sea hmm. so yeah 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 in your review on um on your website on your i guess it's on is it on your patreon first right now yeah so yeah. it will pop up on the website within like a week uh well it should be there by now <laughs> okay so either way patreon or trustyhenchman.com you mm. can read the the full review there but i remember when i when i saw it pop up i was uh I was surprised to see how highly you regarded her as like one of your favorite creators, like period. I I think that I it creators can hit me a certain way when they show a melding of their scripting and their control of the visual language to the point where everything feels I, I don't have a really good word for it. It's all just like, is it a, just a, like a, cohesive or it's a cohesiveness. Yeah. Um, but there's just a, a particular flow and it's the kind of flow that like in my mind, creators like Will Eisner, uh, you know, they're, 
it's the stuff that they were working towards as as like the the pinnacle of this medium Mm -hmm. when when you can merge your dialogue your narrative structuring your flow your plotting it all comes together um your color palette all of it and the thing is like this is this is all her this is her doing everything so it's it's the same deal as like carla speed mcneil she's high up on my list as well because uh her series finder is such an amazing piece of science fiction that also focuses on like human empathy she can tell most of her story uh with no dialogue just through the facial expressions of her characters and through the pacing of the panels and everything there are very few creators that can hit that for me so immediately right now uh dershing helmer is one of those people Mm. Who, uh, who else besides Carla Speed McNeil would you say would be up there for you? Hmm. Visually, um, the black sad guy. Yeah. Whose name I am completely blacking out on right now. <laughs> I have the power uh, of the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you talk about, because it's a writer and an artist on that series, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's. Um, I think it's Guarnido is the uh, is the artist. Yeah. So the author is Juan Diaz Canales and Guajo Guarnido. Guarnido. Yeah. Guarnido's art is is up there for me. That's the trick because there's there's not too many creators that can are like the whole show, you know, mm. uh, because like Preacher is one of our favorites, and that's because of the melding of Steve Dillon and Garth Ennis. Right. Um, so sometimes you'll get those really amazing uh, duos and and teams of creators, you know, Jeff Smith is, 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 is up there for, for hitting that for me, but really it was only with bone, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, castle waiting. Oh yeah. That was a series. I always wanted to check out Linda, Linda Medley. Yeah. Uh, that, that is up there. Uh, the thing is that one makes me sad because it never truly, ends uh finishes um but yeah linda medley is up there a lot of a lot of the creators that kind of hit this for me interestingly enough uh tend to be female creators there's just an element of communication that they can reach that is so much stronger for me and a lot of it also has to do with being able to hit some level of empathy you Mm, know mm mm-hmm I don't want to say that a lot of the male creators can't hit that, but I am having trouble thinking of a lot right now. Would you say, well, I mean, you say empathy. It reminds me of um, Yoshitaki Oima, who does To Your Eternity in a Silent Voice. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, their work, if there's a female creator, and that's somebody who uh, tends to get that level of empathy where you really feel for every character that she introduces, whether good or bad. You know, your soul is now invested in it to be sh- shattered into pieces. <laughs> yeah. The creator of uh, Witch Hat Atelier is another yeah. one. Um, it, it, it does seem to me to happen a bit more in manga at times. But yeah, a lot of it does have to do with being able to convey emotion. But another aspect, and you and I have had this talk a couple of times, is like when I read a comic book, my mind starts translating it as if it was a film. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like I cast voices uh, and it, it, there's a smoothness of progression of story that happens as if you were watching a film, you know, 
the more a, a creator can hit that for me, where it just feels like a perfectly constructed um, <laughs> words, ah, a perfectly constructed uh, uh, story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. But um, then that's 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 where I just instantly can fall in love with them. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, would yeah. you say that like Berserk is up there? Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, Berserk is definitely up there. So uh, Mira is on that list. And Battle Angel Alita is on that list for me. Right. There, There's different levels of it, um, you know, because some of these are very different stories or more long-term stories. Marin Turnum is, is definitely a done-in-one story. It is a very concise beginning, middle, and end. Um, and And its construction is... It's fantastic because, you know, one of the very first words in the first panel is by and one of the the final word in the book is hi. And it's dealing with somebody who's, you know, working through this desire for self-harm and and suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's just elements that you can tell, like she worked on this, I think, from something like 2015 to the to 2019 or something like that and it's just like she had been plotting it beforehand so like this was a labor of love you know that's one of the tricks you know being able to tell what's uh for some some creators it's more of a labor of love versus a gotta pay the bills and sometimes it's it's all of the above and sometimes you get uh incredible pieces of work that were just kind of done as like oh this is just my regular job on spider-man i'm just getting it done you know um, but then there are those projects where you can you can just tell that, like, especially uh, Helmer as a uh, biologist and a teacher, like she she had something she wanted to talk about here. Yeah. And she she got it across. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's something I read. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I think it's a good discussion. I mean, you and I have been talking about comics for many, many years. I know a lot of the things that you love, but I thought it was interesting to put it on the podcast of of what makes those so special and who are people that you hold to that high esteem mm-hmm, and why, yeah. you know? I mean, it, There's definitely just a uh, an, an element that I can't ever put into words because it's a click. It's just mm. a a click where it all comes together and it's a language that speaks to me mm-hmm. because I'm very visual orientated. I, I think I always have been. That's why comic books are kind of my jam. Um, I've always had uh, issues when I was growing up. I had a learning disability. And so comics were a gateway for being able to learn and comprehend a little bit more. And so uh, there's certain people who understand the language of comics that, you know, they either through intense studying or because it's just innate in their abilities. And uh, you sometimes they just click with me. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be that they see things the way that when things click for you, it's like that same wavelength. of, And that's why right. it translates so well is because they they just that's maybe how yeah. they function. That's. We're all on that in. wavelength. Yeah. yeah. I mean, comics for me still hold so much value because uh, I have like a, I don't know, it's, I don't think there's anything special about my brain, but I definitely have a short attention span 
And like reading has always been hard for me, not because I have a, a learning disability or anything like that, but just because I'll be reading and then all of a sudden my mind will be like 20,000 leagues away, you know, and I'll mm. be like, oh, I just read three paragraphs and I have no idea what they said. So right. I had to reread them. So I think comics are helpful because even though that does still happen and I still have to reread panels from time to time, that it sticks a little bit better. I get the mm. visualization and I can get more cues from it and it keeps my attention. Ooh, shiny things, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I've always been kind of mean to myself about not reading more prose. I have two books currently on my shelf that are on my nightstand that have been there for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years now. Um, that are interesting books, but they just keep sitting there. And I keep looking at them going like, I should get back to that. I should get back to that. I should get back to that. Meanwhile, my manga stack is like <laughs> going, getting shorter and shorter and then bigger and then shorter and shorter and shorter and then bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just it, manga is like so easily digestible for me. It's so enjoyable and it gives me the gratification of actually finishing something. I'm such a good starter and not a good finisher and it's it's a weakness that i have in my in so many things of my life is like i get real geared up for something for like the first week and then after that i don't really care that much anymore <laughs> right you know and <laughs> comics help me with that and then there's just so much that comics offer that you don't get in other places oh yeah i yeah yeah i mean there's like i mentioned that you know uh, they're so much easier to take in when I was younger for the mm -hmm. visual nature. And the, the one of the values of comics for me is that they are condensed ideas, they're shorthand and they're metaphor. And in many ways, they are a, uh, a quick ticket ride into the brain of the creator to instantly comprehend a concept that they want to communicate. Mm. Whereas somebody like George R. R. Martin has to write so many pages just to say that this one character was nonplussed about their uh, salt and pepper beard and that uh, somebody was about to get stabbed. And it's just like that took, you know, like 20 pages. Yeah. Whereas over in Berserk Land, that guy got stabbed in two panels and yep. we know exactly what was going on. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. there's <laughs> there's there's the element of there is the value of, of reading the description of what happened. But then there's also the element. Uh, that I appreciate of getting that shorthand into the brain of yeah. the creator and just being like, that's exactly what they're trying to show me. Whereas if somebody tried to describe me Guts's armor in the later books, I'd have a picture and maybe that's the value. I created my own picture, but I'd also... I, I would always feel sad if like I compared that picture to the writer and they're like, that's not what I thought, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... It's one of those things like it's all there's value in reinterpretations, but I always wonder if sometimes if somebody like George R. R. Martin is like, that's definitely not who I casted as that character, but you do you, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And and some people find that 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 is that has its value in prose, yes. right? Is that it's like it's your own personal interpretation and there's something special about that. Yes. It's Stephen King is famously he does not like the Stanley Kubrick shining. Yes. And the thing is, it's like, come on, Steven. Eh, yeah, it's different. Yeah. But uh, just take it as Earth 2. You know, it's right. it's, its own little shining. Right. Just let it be. And uh, you went ahead and did yours featuring one of the pilots from Wings. And that's okay. You could do that. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, wasn't it the extra curly haired one? He was like curly the Playboy yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah Wow, yeah. wings taking it back. So <laughs> hey, I, I used to watch the shit. Oh, out I of some watched wings. the fuck out of wings. Fuck yeah, wigs. Yeah, wigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that ends our serious discussion about comic books. <laughs> well, no, the, because this is turning into our sub-podcast, our third podcast within the podcast, The Wings Cast. That's right, The Wings Cast. <laughs> Guest starring Tony Shalhoub, because fuck yeah, Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> uh, I gotta brush up on my wings. Where is it streaming right now? Let's I just have a wings-a-thon. <laughs> God, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think like as far as prose is concerned, the like two writers that have probably caught, well, maybe three writers, I'd say right now. I used to read, you know, Kurt Vonnegut back back in the day. I actually read, I think, two or three of his novels, which is a lot for me. mm -hmm. Uh, I love Tom Robbins, who's actually a Seattleite. He was down at like the blue moon one day. John at Comics Dungeon was like, oh, yeah, I have a beer with him all the time. You want to come meet him? And I was like, no. (laughs) That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd probably say Joe Hill. I think Joe Hill yeah, is yeah, yeah. Um, a really good writer for people like me who have trouble with focusing and imagination, I guess I should say. Because, look, I tried to read William Gibson's writing and I fucking could not get through it. I don't mm. know what it was, but I don't know what the fuck that man was saying. <laughs> I really don't. I tried reading Neuromancer, and I even talked to William about it because he he's read all of the Gibson stuff, and he's like, "Oh yeah, they're you know they're really interesting." Da, da, da. But he's like, he's a reader. He's an English major. You know, I'm a math ah, and yeah. science person. I don't know math and science now, but I used to. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I only know smut. Do you want to talk about yes. Cox? I could do that all day. We could do the math of smut. That's right. Well, we had mathematical girthiness in a previous yes. episode, so that's yes. a thing. Doctor Sunian. Totally approves. That's right. That's right. But I think it's like those writers who have the ability to really kind of cut through the fat, you know, of like the George R. R. Martins of the world and just can give you something that you can grab onto. Because if it gets too flourishy and flowery yes. or, or too, I don't know, ethereal, I just can't. Yeah. I can't do it. That's why I can't really take much uh, Dickens because... 50 pages later we finally have the end of a description of a chair and it's just like okay someone's <laughs> gonna sit on that chair now that's gonna take two more books isn't it <laughs> i appreciate this but i'm gonna move on it's you know? writing for writing's sake which you know mm-hmm. it's just not my style <laughs> on the others on the other side of that spectrum i, I want to find the the writer who's like literally it's just one it's not even a full page and that's the book where it's just like John shot Bob. The end. <laughs> a mystery in five words. We're done. I got other stuff to do. I, uh, see, in my brain, when you were saying like it takes like so many pages to write about this chair, it's like my thought is, what if there was a comic book artist and writer out there who did do a comic all about the chair and somehow made it oh. interesting, where it's just panels of chair and somehow you could like write a whole dissertation on it. So you're talking about Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell's, you know, missing chapter of From Hell. That's right. Which is exactly. about the chair that uh, the Ripper sat in. That's right. Know, because that's the trick there. I can't remember if it was Eddie Campbell or somebody else, but they mentioned like straight up Alan Moore gave him a script and like it got so into detail in the layouts that like he not only told how many bricks were in this one panel, but the entire history of that one brick, you know? 
And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. that's like Providence, right? Which I, yeah, I have. That's exactly. one of the things that's on my shelf right now. I read that first issue and I was like, that was great. And then we discussed it. And I said, I got about 10% of that comic, clearly, because you started talking about all these things that I was like, that happened in that comic? I have no idea. <laughs> mm-hmm, my brain mm-hmm. don't work. <laughs> well, it's not even that. It's just that straight up, like, uh, uh, there's there's a website called Facts in the Case of Alan Moore's Providence. And you... I highly recommend you you use that at the same time because that's where somebody will be like page seven panel twenty eight and a half. Uh, <laughs> if you look in the far distance of the horizon, you'll see a cottage. That is in fact the cottage that H.P. Lovecraft grew up in. There's no relevance to this particular moment, but I'm sure in issue nine panel seventy five of page one that it'll come up <laughs> you know it's a good thing you did mention that because I, I didn't forget about that website but i have been thinking about i briefly touched on providence and you said well let me know what you think when you get to that material which we'll yeah. probably talk about on the podcast but it's good. so daunting to me because i don't i think of myself uh, as an average intelligence person at best so when no. it comes to these kinds of comics that have like a heady element to them or like uh minute detail that's very subtle it is very hard for me to grasp onto that stuff especially because i kind of motor through comics sometimes depending on the comic right and even if i i think even if i slowly went through providence there would still just be so much i missed and so something like this community-based website where everyone was contributing to it and other people saw things that other people didn't. I think it's just such an amazing tool for something like that where yeah. you don't have to feel stupid. You could just be part of the process, you know, part yeah. of the experience, right? I would recommend definitely doing a straight read-through without any annotations to get what you get mm-hmm. and then make another read-through because that way you also get the most out of your money. Uh, True. You know, how many, how many, it's basically like you're reading two to three different types of books that you didn't even realize you bought at the same time. Mm-hmm. And because I think I, I get a lot out of doing an initial viewing and then doing a little research. I mean, I do that subconscious, uh, it's not subconsciously, but I, I end up doing that unintentionally when I watch certain things because I'll, like, I just watched on Netflix a show called Barbarians and it's about a, uh, it's six episodes to get you to uh, a famous battle uh, between the, the, the Germans and the, uh, the Romans. And uh, at the end of that, I was like, that was satisfying. How much did they get wrong? Let's go on to Wikipedia and take a quick look. And it's just like, ah, the main female character. There's like only two paragraphs of her entire existence in history. They definitely flourished that. She was also maybe 13 at the time. She's definitely not that in this show, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I like going and doing a little bit of additional homework at times. So books like Providence appeal to me for that Mm. because I'll be reading a thing and I'll be like, that feels like a thing, even though he didn't say it was a thing. But that panel lingered a little too long on this one character or this one like corner of a room. So it's like that had to be something. Mm. And I really want to know. Detective Mr. Tim inside me wants to figure it out and find (laughs) out what they're doing in Candy Mountain. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, it's get a lot out of that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I'll do that sometimes. Like, I don't have a very wide vocabulary. So, and I think that is also part of, I haven't read a lot of prose. I don't have like a, an amazing reading comprehension. All those things happen through reading a lot, uh, looking up words, you know, getting the context, all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to get better at that. If I come across a word in a comic or something like that, I'll look up the, the word and then I'll reread it, you know, to try to learn about things. And I've done stuff like that. Like, I just read Black Stars Above. I finished that by Lonnie Nadler, who I really love. And Je Jenna Cha, whose her art is so cool. Definitely check her out on Instagram. Her stuff is, like, it's, like, terrifying and beautiful. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is, like, referential. It's very much a, a very overt love story to Lovecraft. I mean, it's lo very Lovecraftian. Yeah. There's even stuff in there, like, um, the main character where she comes from... The language she speaks, a whole area of like Canada, I didn't know about a history of like, I think it's 1800s. So I looked up stuff. I didn't know what things were. And I, and I actually learned things that way. And I just find that that enriches me as well yeah. as gets more context to the story and, and pinpoints things. And yeah. Well, and it, it creates a natural curiosity in you. Yes. And that's the easiest way to learn something. Yeah. Because you have an energy that wants to retain some of the things you learn mm -hmm. so that you can talk to somebody about it. Like, do you know about this guy? You yeah. Know? And it's uh, one of the things I love when kids get into comics and we'd have it when kids are at the comic book store and you get a kid that's just like, did you know that Fin Fang Foom is this ancient alien and not an actual dragon? And it's just like, yeah, brah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that Fin Fang Foom. You know, it's like white kids, like they get into Pokemon. It's like there's all these monsters that you got to learn the names of. And third evolution is so much powerful of Charizard than it is of Mewtwo. It's probably not. I don't know. Um, you just but, threw some shit out there, didn't you? You don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, you know, so but those kids are down with learning that stuff yeah. because they are doing it on their own because of their natural infatuation with that thing, you yeah. know. And that's, I think, one of the most powerful aspects of comic books is that it creates this desire to absorb more knowledge. Absolutely. To conquer your enemies with, <laughs> you know. Little tiny warriors, <laughs> every one of them. Yes. Fighting on the battlefields of knowledge and mm. life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, we... <laughs> my words shall be my swords. <laughs> And now we're back to the Berserk podcast. No. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we had a, a non-profit uh, C4C3 through Comics Engine and Corner Comics and to, to help get comics into classrooms. And it was so vital. Uh, and it's, it's such a good point, too, because there were more and more nonfiction comics coming out. The Nathan Hale's ha Hazardous Tales was a really fun way to learn about terrible things in history. Yeah. Um, you know, and it... It's, it takes that, like, enjoyment of reading a comic, which seems like it's frivolous or luxurious or something that you're, like, it's it's fluff reading. But then you right. turn it into, here, now you learn all these things. And it's just mm -hmm. like, damn. Yeah. Even the fluffiest of reading can instill desire to learn. I mean, when I was, God, I don't know, super young, 10-ish or something, 9 or 10, I was just like... Mom, what's an apocalypse? Because the X-Men had a cool-ass villain with these really weird lips, and I want to know what his name meant. <laughs> and at an early age, I knew exactly what an apocalypse was. There you go. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's not always frivolous, right? 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's frivolous. It's the best frivolity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Learning about the apocalypse is always frivolous. Yeah. 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 Oh, in my horror reading, I definitely had that feeling of like, I really want to read The Chronicles of Wormwood by Garth Ennis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't read that in so long and I have the finally have the complete series. So it's like, there was a part of me that was like, now I'm going to read this. And then I was like, no, you have your stack. You need to be disciplined in your comic reading. You'll get there. Mm. You have a hundred fucking comics you need to read. You'll get there. <laughs> yes. You'll <laughs> or you'll die there. trying. <laughs> <laughs> You yes. can only see God jerking off because he's lost his goddamn mind from all he created in due time, my child. <laughs> <laughs> due time, in due time. Yeah. Uh, just bury me with all the comics. Just build the coffin out of the comics. Pretty much. That way they'll just rot into my corpse and then I will <laughs> absorb them as the earth <laughs> absorbs me. <laughs> Yeah, I can't stop myself. I mean, even though I felt really shitty about how many comics I haven't read that are sitting on my shelves, it's not stopping me from buying more. Like, I'm going to the bookstore tomorrow to go pick up more manga. Can't stop, and I'm probably going to buy manga for you, too, because I can't <laughs> help myself and I need a friend in my addiction. <laughs> yes, yes. Friends. Friends. And my husband <laughs> won't read a manga yet, so... Who else but my second husband, Chris Casso? There you go. There you go. Manga husband. My manga yes. husband. Yeah. Mangbund. Manga husband. Mangbund. No. That actually Mangbund. sounds like you're a tasty little bun treat that you buy from like a convenience store. Who says I'm not a tasty bun treat? I mean, anyway. it's, it's just like reality. Yeah, it's just a reality. <laughs> Chris Casso, the tasty little treat. <laughs> Chris Casso, tasty buns. Tasty there buns. There we go. Chris Tasty Buns Casso. <laughs> <laughs> that's my wrestling name? I don't yeah, know. I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Hmm. <clears throat> well, that's a great <clears throat> time to wrap up this podcast. <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you so much uh, for that new nickname. And uh, if anybody would like to read my Tasty Bun articles, uh, you could find them at trustyhenchman.com. You can support me on my Patreon, which uh, for $3 a month, you get a weekly exclusive newsletter and so much more. And uh, yeah. So uh, time for awkward goodbye? I guess so. Okay. 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 Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> we will never say it. It will just end. Just end. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs>